Hey, this is Melissa Green, and you are listening to Grace Point Church's podcast. Our vision statement at Grace Point is loving God, loving self, and loving others. If you want to find out more, visit gracepoint.net. Well, the, the past two Sundays, we have spent some good and important time discussing our life together as a church family. Every year, uh, we take time at the beginning of the calendar, somewhere in late January, early February, or even to late February now, we take time, two or three weeks, to highlight the various ministries of our congregation where you can make a difference. Now, this, this isn't a universal ministry fair. We have a lot of ministries in this church that aren't listed These are the particular ministries where you can get involved, not only at the level of receiving, but at the level of giving. That's what the ministry fair is about. There are other times of the year, well, every Sunday, we emphasize all the different ways that the church can serve you. These ministries are the particular ministries in our church through which you can serve the congregation that serves you so well. Last week we concluded with wisdom that I gleaned from one of my mentors and for sure my chief mentor in ministry, L.H. Hardwick. Um, Brother Hardwick, for those that don't know, I mention him often so you probably know, but if you're new, Brother Hardwick was my mentor. He pastored one church for 59 years and he wasn't this dying, withering old man hanging on to a flock. He was an incredible man who got better the longer he went. the church called Christ Church that I served at for seven years and many of you actually attended uh, at least to some extent or visited. He served there 59 years and it was one of the most influential churches for an extended season really in America and it was noted as such. One thing Brother Hardwick was always pouring into us, trying to convince us of as his understaff, as his under shepherds, was that we need to give people ample opportunity to find their way into our community. Ingress. We'll leave egress off for a moment because churches also have back doors, and we need to do our back doors well as well. But in terms of front doors and ingress, well, the Hardwick was always telling us in order for the community to truly add all of the people that we're called to add, we've got to have multiple doors and windows, not just one grand door in the center of the room called Sunday morning church. He pointed out to us that, you know, people will come to your church through men of acts. There are people who will not connect to your community through Sunday morning primarily, but they'll meet Clyde somewhere out at a Porter paint store and ask him what he's doing. And they'll hear about the fact that he's painting the house of an elderly widow and They'll find out about men of acts in a community of faith, and through that, they'll meander their way smack dab into the middle of our community. There are people here that are here because you came to a wedding that I performed. You were a best man or a bridesmaid, and you were looking for a church, and I was there and did the wedding, and you liked the way I did it, and you asked me about the church, and you found your way into the church. I call it matrimonial ministry. I'm always evangelizing in weddings. Multiple ways. Softball teams, he told us. Chris Alicki's got sacred survival coming up. I'm sure there will be 40 or 50 of our people. There will be three or four people that don't attend Grace Point that will have a monumental experience, and one or two of them may find their way into our church through that door, that window. 
So he was always talking to us about building multiple doors. And then there was also something that he emphasized over and again. He said that there are hundreds of reasons people come to church, but there are only two or three they stay. One that he always underscored and said it was understood was people, people stay long-term at a church because they're ideologically, and when you say ideology, you're really in great part talking about theology within a church. Somebody said, well, I'm not into theology. Yes, you are. You may not be a professional theologian, but you're into theology the same way I'm into dentistry. I'm not a professional dentist. I have one of those, but I am into dentistry, especially when my tooth is hurting. You're a theologian. You think about God. And for people who are invested in a church, people who are going to a Christian church, it's, it's, I think it goes without saying that our vision of God matters to us. And we know that nobody sees God exactly the way we do, and we know that none of us see God exactly as God is, but theology is important to us. And so one of the things that keeps you long-term in a church is if you agree with its vision of God and the according mission that grows out of that. That's important. How can two walk together except they be agreed? And I would be disappointed, actually, in followers of Christ if theology didn't matter, if ideology didn't matter. I think it has to matter. I often say the most important thing in this world is how God sees me, how God sees us. The second most important thing is how we see God, because frankly, the way you see God affects the way you do everything in life. And ultimately, to really make spiritual progress, I think you have to be with people who are lined up to some degree. The other two things that he always emphasized are a bit more practical and less esoteric, um, but equally important. He always called those two things intimacy and significance. Um, I, I, I generally say relationships and significance because when you say intimacy, everybody snickers and it's an uncomfortable word. I'll tell you about Brother Hardwick. He never minded uncomfortable words for those of you that know him. So he just always talked about intimacy, but by intimacy, he meant relationships. And we, we harp on that, encourage that all the time around here. Past about 18 months to two years, once you get used to Melissa's singing and the incredible specials and the wonderful Sunday school classes and my preaching, if you like it, and some of the stuff that drew you in, one thing we know, the longer you stay in relationship, the more you're going to see clearly the reality, good and bad, of the person or the people you're with. And after about 18 to 24 months in the finest of institutions, you're going to begin to find the things that can kind of bug you about it, the things that you can nitpick. And those of us that have been around here eight or 10 years, we've already been through a half a dozen of those things. But Pastor Hardwick always said, you're going to have that anywhere especially if you take yourself with you to that place, but you're going to have that anywhere. But if you develop relationships, meaningful relationships, meaningful relationships will get you past the bothersome minutia and the trivia. But if you don't have relationships in a place, if you don't have vested, intimate relationships with people, the goofy stuff, that you bring, that we bring, it'll start grading on you and it'll drive you out of a place. The second thing he said that you have to have that really keeps you in a church long term is a sense of significance. One of the things that we do in the church is we 
press people to be close followers of Jesus. And we're about to head into the season of Lent, bracing ourselves for Resurrection Sunday. And you cannot walk the road of Jesus in a place like this. You can't be near Jesus without a spirit of provocation, without hearing that voice that says, can you drink this cup that I drink? I was just back there with Stan Jr. He was getting ready. I'm proud of him. He's, Jennifer and Jeremy have got these kids, our kids, our senior high kids and junior high kids teaching in Sunday school. My son's learned more about baptism this week, preparing for a lesson to teach than he ever has being taught. And he was sitting back there and he said, this is my fourth Sunday and I'm just trying to figure out how to really bring this home for these fourth and fifth graders about baptism. And I told my ninth grader, who's still trying to figure out his own baptism, like all of us, I told him, I said, ask him not can you get wet, but ask him, can you be baptized with the baptism wherewith I'm baptized? And he looked at me and I knew that I was talking King James language, JD, and he didn't get it. I said, ask them if they can get baptized the way Jesus was baptized and tell them it means more than how they go down in the water. His baptism was his life. And he said, that's good. You better believe it is. <laughs> You can't be around that kind of call without having a sense of I want to be a meaningful part of that. Everywhere I go, not the least of which places, Carol, is my church. And after 18 months to two years, if you hadn't found a real way of giving back in that community and having meaning there, I think it will begin wearing thin for you. I think it will. So, so the past... <clears throat> couple of Sundays and this Sunday, we've been talking about these ministries in this church. And, and I want to take time not to just blow past them, but to tell you about Card and Care Package Network. I don't have time to tell you about all of them, but there's a, a, a wall sign up there that says Card and Care Package Network, and there are people in this church that have been ministered to profoundly. Because our people who send out these cars, they don't just let Helen Steiner Rice speak for them. They sit down with a pen and they open up a vein, Everett, you guys, and you do something so wonderful that my, Nancy and I, our little girl Nina, who's always breaking something, I think sometimes she wants to twist an ankle so she can go to the mailbox and get a card from you guys. She's gotten so many cards through her little broken ankles and broken arms, that there was a season that she would go to the mailbox and say, is there a card for me? And there are people in this church who are in dying processes that wait for the mail to come in. Because people here that will never see them face to face pray through cards, send care, loving care. We just sent one of ours off to Afghanistan. One just came home from Kuwait. Martin, glad to have you back. We've been praying for Martin. Welcome Martin back. <laughs> Left his wife Amy and a precious little baby here. Our neighbors right behind us. Good folk. He's been over there since, or been gone since April. Over there since May. Cards sent to people that we love. 
Music Outreach Network. <laughs> Music Outreach Network. Sitting up at the hospital the other day with Lucy Weldon, Lucy Pinson's mom, the two Lucys. You know, they come to church here, wonderful ladies. John, dad, he's doing, he's coming down the home stretch, really is. And Nancy and I went home and I said, I, I got to, she said, we need to call the music ministry network because Miss Lucy is so tired, we can't get her to church right now. She's on vigil up there with John. And Nance said, we just need to get them to go up there because she literally just needs to sing all the songs. And I, I got all inspired, and I said, you know what, Taryn uh, Wallen, she's one of the ones that does this. We'll send Taryn up. I'll go up there with her. I'll sing some hymns. Nance said, just let Taryn go. <laughs> she did. Prayer Network. There's a reason Young men like Justin Pitt make it to a place of leadership in the board around here because they understand true leadership. Justin never asked to be on a board. But he's a part of Pam Bishop, one of our elders' prayer teams. And every time she gathers the group together and says, let's get together once a quarter and talk about how we can pray more effectively and really bear the burden of this church, you walk in and there's Justin in his lawyer suit sitting there with five or six Generally, a lot of times older ladies, but Justin's right there in the middle of them serving our church through prayer. And if you walk back through the hallways, he's back there teaching kindergartners. And I say those that abase themselves will be exalted, and he says doesn't apply here because being in the prayer team and teaching Sunday school is not abasing yourself. And I say touche. Uh, food Network. Wow, a warm meal brought in love to a family. Dozens, if not hundreds of you have received that from this church. Missions, Brian Cochran leading teams to Moldova to minister to children, taking you with them. Stan Jr. and I are hitting with a team of you in um, June down to Haiti. Uh, Taryn Wallen, who will be up there singing to Miss Lucy probably by this afternoon, knowing her, once she heard this, she also, Wednesday night, texted me and said, Mike will be at the business meeting. I can't. Why aren't you there? Well, found out from Mike because she was down at the homeless ministry under a bridge somewhere, and I got a picture from her uh, later sitting there with her guitar amongst a bunch of homeless men singing to them. People who serve up here like she was up here today. This is not a glossy place. She was with the homeless on Wednesday night. They were so moved through the ministry of Steve Lindstrom, who's out there giving them warm beds to sleep in, that at the end of the, at the, end of the night, the guys went and tore limbs off a tree and took some wire that they had, Antonio, and they built out of sticks a cross because they didn't have anything else to give. And they gave Taryn and the guys a cross. And on the other side of our stage, Taryn's over here on the other side of our stage are people like Dan Waltz. Y'all know who Dan Waltz is, don't you? Dan and Callie. Dan's always the guy up here, his head bobbleheading the whole time he plays. <laughs> Walked through the Sunday school class this morning, Jeff. Dan, he's not just, you know, prima donna, plays up here all the time. That's not our people. Sitting back there on a little bitty stage, long way from this one, sitting back there with a guitar, 
with a bunch of second graders sitting around him singing songs to Jesus. Men of Acts, Clyde Childers, met a 55-year-old guy with Parkinson's whose roof is a sieve, insurance company, can't go any farther with him, the house is close to getting condemned, and the guy's out of options and solutions and family, not when Clyde hears about it, not because there's a bunch of you called men of acts, Corey. Clyde says, we'll take care of it. And he's back there right now asking you just to sign up for his fire and ribs at $20 a head, because $20 will buy a, 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 you know, a, what do you call it, a slab of shingles. And the insurance company, Clyde's got them held at bay just to give him time to get the roof on. And insurance company's so moved by what he's doing, Chris, that he got a check in the mail from the insurance company the other day, helping out. Wings in the women's ministry. It looks pink from here, but it's deeply red, the color of life. Rescue missions and food packs for children. Bulletin team. Bulletin team, incredibly talented people who come over here on Friday so the staff doesn't have to take hours to fold bulletins that we just take for granted. You know, they just kind of end up this way, perforated and folded. No. But I'll tell you something about finding significance through these ministries. You go so far in that you start developing relationships. And guess what? Pam, I don't know. It probably takes two or three to do that, a couple of hours. Eight people showed up for the bulletin team on Friday. You know why? Not because eight people were needed, but because you start developing relationships that you share life and giving with. Angela, Corey's men of acts, your bulletin team, you got a lot more talents than folding bulletins, but thank you for doing it. If you didn't, Clint would have to, and he's already overtaxed, but you do it. And you probably look forward now to coming and seeing those people. Technical arts. Audio, visual, videography, I already said it in the first service. Mike Burke's back there. He and Taryn, y'all have done everything. Been on the women's committee, did care groups, whatever we needed all the way through the church. They're just those that just fill in and say, we'll sweep, we'll do whatever. Well, of course, that's why Mike's sitting back there. And here in a minute, when I call up a scripture, it'll be him that does it. Arts ministry. Not everybody has the chops to play at the level that some of these folks play, and we have a lot of people, it's Nashville, that play at that level. But everybody has the capacity. Everybody has the capacity to do ministries that may actually be more grand in the grand scheme of things than this one. Because, see, Melissa, our pastor of worship and arts, that she has worked less on this this week and more on Timothy's gift, because what she'll do, she's getting on the bus going down to the incarcerated and she's responsible with Jennifer for Dan being in the back, and she's responsible, she's pastoring and cares about Taryn getting there to sing for Lucy, because she's not a director of worship and arts, she's a pastor. And so, you know, getting a song like Haley did, you know, that, that's incredible talent. Um, but Jesus, or the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 said, I'll tell you about the body, some of the giftings that, that generate less notice actually are more honored by God. 
And there are some ministries where people get lots of credit, and then there are some ministries that miss the credit, but one of these days, God's gonna see those people walking up, and right in the middle of the Billy Grahams and Mother Teresa and L.H. Hardwicks, he's gonna look and say, there you are, Bob. Man, I've been waiting. Shake your hand and thank you for being willing to do those things that weren't noticed. Grace Point kids, I am every week heartened to walk up and down this hall and see incredibly talented people ministering to our children, not going in as warm, dutiful bodies, but ministering to our children. And as heartened as I am by seeing those same faces every week, I'm just that disheartened by seeing those same faces every week. I can't nobody else. I don't want Philip answer anybody else coming here talking to y'all this way, but I've been here 10 years. I can, can I? If I can't, nobody can. There are children. We don't need warm bodies and we don't need to wear people out until they have to leave the church because they feel too guilty to say no, but they just can't keep up the pace. It ought not be. We need our best people working with our children. Grace Point Youth Group, wow. Worship service attendants, communion servers. I look at that sign and I think, man, it was a mistake. In the beginning, nobody could serve communion around here unless they were like staff or elders or, you know, the, in my unenlightened mind, the elite. And then the longer you go, the more you figure out that there's not a minute's difference between the best of us and the worst of us. And then people like Brad Marilyn, who are over it one day, Brad looks at me and he gives me good theology. He says, Stan, really, because we were laboring with not having enough people to serve communion. He said, really? He said, isn't this really the broken body serving the broken body to the broken body? I thought the broken body serving the broken body to the broken body body yes and I don't know that there's anything around here that should have a longer line not only do we have open communion here we have open communion service you want to do yourself a special favor go sign up to hand the plate to people and at every aisle say his body broken for you his blood shed for you Greeters and ushers, before Melissa ever gets to sing, before I ever get to preach, before they ever get to the wonderful classroom, people have an impression of this church, and some of them are coming in here so cynical and caustic, scared, bent, bitter, hurt, that before they ever get in here, they have an impression of our church, and it has nothing to do with what happens here. It has everything to do with the people who take seriously opening that door and handing a bulletin and said, I'm glad you're here. The gospel is preached. Chair brigades, wow. Thank you to the guys and gals that come out and help us with chairs. It's the same faces. We need some more cleaning team. You say, why do we have a cleaning team? Because we try to keep our budget down every way that we can. And to this point, we have kept from having to hire someone full-time to clean our 12,000 square feet. And if everybody in the church just took a shift but I see the same ladies over here every Monday and 
Surely they got to be getting tired by now, but I suppose they're blessed. Coffee team, Carol, thank you for taking it over. Not just a warm body, one of the 10 people ordained an elder in this church. You have other things to do besides coffee team, but it's wonderful. And the thing about coffee team, coffee ministry is one of those, coffee ministry, can you believe that? Coffee ministry, it's one of those things, it go, it, it'll never go away because when it finally gets to the point when Carol can't get enough people to help, we'll just tell everybody it's going to have to go away. And boy, then everybody will rally because we can't have a move of the spirit without our coffee, can we? Ephesians 4.16 said, under Christ, listen, I'm going to tell you some of the best insight that I've come across in my years of ministry. Listen, under Christ's direction, under the direction of Jesus, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. And as each part, at you, as each part does its own special work. I love that, own special work. That's you. It's not all giftings and talents. Some of it's just work, but it's important work. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body, the church, this is what we're trying to do, grows into a healthy, growing place, Paul said, full of love. Our ultimate goal as a local Christian church is to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that, now listen, it's what, it, you can just pass that, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But we are efforting to bring you into a, a full status as a disciple. We're starting with second and third and fourth and fifth graders and saying, can you be baptized the way Jesus is? And they're thinking about Jordans and geography and immersion versus sprinkling. But little by little, we grow into the fullness of that cup that he called us to drink. And little by little, people follow Jesus until they healthily grow into their full identity as a beloved child of God. And we know around here that one of the most vital, inarguable elements of spiritual health. That's why we have a ministry fair like this. And it's not just all those things that you can sign up for that'll bless you. We got plenty of those. But we know that one of the most inarguable elements of spiritual health, spiritual enlightenment, spiritual maturity is giving. To take what is yours. For Angela Kobler to take almost every Friday afternoon. For Thelma Childers, and you hear some recurring themes around here, Clyde Childers, Men of X, Thelma Childers, she's just as talented as him. She's one of the ladies that cleans over here on Monday and gets these bathrooms spot and spick and span after Sunday. Get the picture? To take what is yours and to transfer it to another. These weeks of volunteer emphasis are all about giving. Committing ourselves to giving our energy, our time, our elbow grease, our giftings, our talents, our skills. To give those things to the very worthy cause of our church called Grace Point.
and to the lives of other people. To that end, this is our responsibility, this thing called Grace Point. But to that end, I also want to remind you that it is a wonderful opportunity to add meaning and blessing to our lives, to your life. As a pastor of this church and as a pastor in your life, there is more than one reason that I long to see each of you become deeply giving people. I long to see all of you become deeply giving people because I know it will take this church to the absolute next level of honoring God in his call, taking the gospel in its fullness to a hurting world. But I also long for this for you because to be a giving person is a gift. To find a place where you gratefully acknowledge the gift of life given to you and and, and gratefully acknowledge that by deploying your gifts and your strengths on behalf of the lives of other people and the greater good, this is spiritual maturity. To see our church thrive, not just survive. To see our church thrive, not just barely get by. Not come behind in all things, but to come ahead in all things. My longing is to see an abundance of living resources naturally, lovingly flowing together, bumping into one another, but flowing ultimately into the building of God's kingdom and our world. This is our goal. And it is our vocation as a church, brothers and sisters, quoting from the old King James, the book of Hebrews, to provoke one another unto good works. Greg, to stir one another up, to use those giftings and that strength that God has given you. That is our vocation, to stir up the gifts of God inside of us, to remind us that we have been given talents and we are to come back to the Lord, not just with the things we were given, but to come back to him with those things invested and returning to him more. This, brothers and sisters, is the call of the church. And to that end, I wanna quickly share a simple insight that I have gleaned in my first 30 years of ministry. <laughs> I knew you'd do that. My mom shook her head. Mom and dad are here today. 30 years of ministry. Good Lord. I remember kneeling down beside y'all's bed, and dad, you looked at me and said, are you sure, son? Are you sure you can't do something else? Y'all knew enough about ministry. You said, are you sure? I went back to my room and I thought, why are these people who love the Lord so much trying to talk me out of it, JD? But they love me. And I went back in there and knelt to that bed, said, I'm sure. And I haven't questioned it since. Well, in those first 30 years of ministry, I have had the privilege of observing hundreds of churches and tens of thousands of wonderful people like you. And along the way, I have observed, noted, and even identified in this area of giving, Lee, and it's, it's more complex than this, but I'll narrow it here functionally. I have, I have identified in my first three decades of ministry, three ways that people are called to give. In drinking this cup, Brad, that he's called us to drink, that you guys pass out to us, 
three ways that we're called to give. The first, and this one is one that we often miss, but I want you to hear me. I'm pastoring today. I'm pastoring this church as hard as I can because our second decade depends upon us getting this. The first way of giving that I have identified is to give responsibly. What do I mean by responsible giving? Mike Wallen, this is what you were talking about Wednesday night when you stood up in, in the business meeting. I went over the budget, and you know, every time you go over the budget, million and a half dollars, and there are a hundred line items, you go over the budget, inevitably somebody is deeply concerned about a buried line item and $3,500 that we spent on postage and you spend 15 minutes. Everybody, anybody ever been to that business meeting? But y'all didn't do that Wednesday night. Mike stood up, Chris Hauser stood up and said, I feel deeply cared for at this place. The leadership here is very caring. I feel safe. Mike stood up and said, it's obvious that we don't have a spending challenge around here but I do believe we have a giving challenge around here. I, I was shell-shocked. I looked around, I thought, come again with that, Mike? Say that again? Put the microphone, microphone right up in his mouth and say that again? We have a what kind of challenge? A giving challenge, Mike said. Responsible giving. To responsibly give is to give that which is due. This is not the sense of giving in which a benevolent gift is bestowed. This is not giving where you put a bow on it and the people say, oh, you shouldn't have. There is a level of giving that God has called us to, not just in church, but in life in general, that is due. Giving in the sense of delivering exchange or recompense for services rendered, it's called pay. When I paid NES this past week, sit down and do the bills, I'm still pretty analog and put a stamp on it, write a check and do all of that, I know, crazy, it's the way it works for me. But when I paid NES this week, Millcrofton Utility, McKay's Mill HOA, I was not gifting them magnanimously. I didn't wait to hear from the electric company and saying to me, oh, you shouldn't have. Thank you for your generosity. I felt no generosity. I didn't even round up to the nearest nickel. It was 273.18. They got 273.18. And you know what I got? Light and warmth and a comfortable home. I don't pay my bills magnanimously, I pay them responsibly because I'm stewarding my resources through an exchange. And this kind of fair exchange, this kind of responsibility is part of what makes a civil society or life and community possible. And I just want to say this, whether a nation, a company, a church, or a family, we are eaten up in myriads of ways by this thing called entitlement. Whether a nation, a company, a church, or a family, any community of people depends upon shared responsibility, mutually beneficial exchanges, reciprocally beneficial exchanges. 
And so Sundays like this, Sundays like the past two, are, the, are an effort on our part to remind ourselves that this stuff is our responsibility. Food Network is not magnanimity. It's when a brother or sister loses a father and their hearts are broken and they can't see which way is up and 20 family members are coming into their house this week. We get there with our casseroles and dishes. That, brothers and sisters, never needs to be told, oh, you shouldn't have, because every time you do, we look back and say, yes, we should have. You're a part of us. There is a first level of giving that we are all called to, and it's called responsibility. Graham, it's the kind of giving you taught your kids, and it's the kind of giving you do. I went up there, oh, how many months ago was it? Ten months ago, and we didn't know if he was going to live or die. And I sat there with my best friends, Ron, holding your hand, looking at you. Thank God you were on, your, on the phone with your son in North Carolina when you had that stroke. I'll never forget it, though. I leave her at the hospital, this wonderful saying of God. I leave her at the hospital, Richard, and I come over here to the church, and I get the mail out of the mailbox, and I open up an envelope from her, and it was her tithe check that's not as big as they used to be, I'm sure, at this stage in her life, but I opened up a tithe check, and she had a list of all the places she had been explaining to me why she hadn't been to church in the last two weeks, but wanted to make sure the church was taken care of. I thought, I don't need a lot of verses, and that, I'm going to tell you, you don't know, I don't save lots of cards, but I still got that slip of paper stuck in one of my Bibles, because that's responsible. That's faithful. That's what makes the backbone of a church. Sundays like this are an effort on my part to remind us of our responsibility. Paul addressed this matter succinctly in his letter to the church at Corinth. I want you to read it with me. 1 Corinthians 9. Look at this. If Folks, if we get what I'm going to say in the next five to ten minutes, our church, <laughs> the second decade, will blow the minds of those that were here the first decade. Paul said, I am free, I'm an apostle, I have seen the Lord Jesus and have led you to have faith in him. This is what I've done for you. I've helped you in your faith. Others may think that I'm not an apostle, but you're proof that I am an apostle when people question me, I tell them that Barnabas and I have the right to our food and drink. We each have the right to marry one of the Lord's followers and to take her along with us, just as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Peter do. Are we the only ones who have to support ourselves by working at another job? Do soldiers pay their own salaries? Don't people who raise grapes eat some of what they grow? Don't shepherds get milk from their own goats? I'm not saying this on my own authority. The law of Moses tells us not to muzzle an ox when it's grinding out at the grain. But was God concerned only about an ox? No, he wasn't. He was talking about us. This was written in the scriptures so that all who plow and all who grind the grain will look forward to sharing in the harvest. When we told the message to you, it was like planting spiritual seed. We gave you spiritual seed, so don't we have the right to accept material things as our harvest from you? 
If others have the right to do this, we have an even greater right, but we haven't used this right of ours. We are willing to put up with anything to keep from causing trouble for the message about Christ. But don't you know that people who work in the temple make their living from what is brought to the temple? Don't you know that a person who serves at the altar is given part of what is offered? In the same way, the Lord wants everyone who preaches the good news to make a living from preaching this message. I am never hurt more in Christian ministry than when people act like their support of ministry is reason for martyrdom, is exceptionally magnanimous. I'm bothered when people want to give to things, ministries, but not to general offerings. Because our general offerings, Matthew 10.10, Jesus said a workman is worthy of his hire. And we minister to you spiritual things. Last year, 33%, you didn't come to business meetings, so I'm going to tell you because it's important to know, last year, 33% of this church's income went to the modest salaries of the incredibly committed and talented pastors of this church. The norm is somewhere in the range of 40%. 33% of this church's income went to the modest salaries of the talented pastors of this church. 32% went to our campus payment of which we are very utilitarian economic because churches that average this size has, have on average three times the space that we manage here. We are utilitarian and economic. The remaining 35% went into many ministries, moving parts of this beautiful ministry, of which if I listed them out to you, your mind would be blown at how many moving parts there is. Did anybody, as you pulled in past the traffic officer this morning, realize that we spend $10,000 a year because Franklin requires it to pay those police officers and the light items multiply? With 10 wise elders, 12 savvy and caring board members, and 14 highly committed pastors, these 36 exceptional people pastor our budget so responsibly and spiritually that I can tell you it is micromanaged to the dime. And when Mike stood up the other night, I was greatly relieved to not have to defend the salary that is already modest of the Jennifer Smiths and the Clint Ribbles and the Melissa Greens and the Stan and Nancy Mitchells and the Pat Johnsons. But Mike said, this is our responsibility. There is a level of giving, J.D., that is just responsible. And NES doesn't need to send me back something and say, thank you so much. You didn't have to do that. Yes, you did. This is a beautiful place in your life. And this applies not only to financial responsibility, but to the exercise of your spiritual gifts and your physical strength. And that includes all of these tables around this room. To keep our budget financially where it is, it is necessary that we all give a reasonable amount of volunteer time, whether that's children's ministry, cleaning team, or food ministry. I saw this back in the holidays. 
Because talk about the Pitt family, Justin's become a board member. Well, Kimberly's the head of our food network. See, the same names just kind of keep recurring around here, but it was holiday time, and we didn't want to put it on Kimberly, and I, I watched a family go into desperate need. There was a large need, lots of people hurting, and Nancy and I went and spent this church's money on professionally cooked food, and we had all those professional warmers, and we walked into a house that was deeply gratified by our being there. But when we set all that professional stuff down, the senior pastor and his wife walking in, having paid a large bill to feed all of these people, I thought to myself, Heath, it's still better if casseroles come from every corner of the church. It still feels more like the body if from every place. It wasn't just a check written. Responsible giving. I know my time is gone, so I will say this in synoptic form. Take responsibility for your church. It has ministered to you spiritual things. It is worthy to not have to grub and struggle for material things. Especially in a land like this. But there is a step beyond responsible giving and that is generous giving. To give generously is to go beyond that which is reasonably due. To give generously is to give abundantly, liberally, with open hands and open heart. Responsible giving is enough to make this church prosper. I wanna tell you, responsible giving would put this church into the stratosphere, just responsible giving. But there is a realm, Bill Green, beyond responsible giving and it's generous giving. And most generous people that I know are people who have found not the duty and responsibility of giving, but they have found the joy of loving and thus the joy of giving. And generous people are generally, usually driven by a position of faith. They have escaped beyond the bare minimums of duty and they have become cheerful. Their heart has been transformed. And I want to say this about generous giving. It's my responsibility to teach responsible giving. And if we do that, we're good. But I, I don't know how to teach generosity because generosity isn't taught, it's transformed. So I'm teaching responsible giving for our Sunday school classes and our food networks and our offerings. I'm teaching responsible giving, but... <clears throat> But generosity, I can't teach it, but I can tell you about it, and we can all open our hearts because I want to be a more generous person. Generosity is part of the cheer and part of the joy of giving comes from a sense of enlightened response, and you genuinely begin to feel that love for your neighbor as yourself. Micah said that these things God requires of you, walk humbly, do justice, and love mercy. And I just want to say this about my life. I have given a lot more mercy than I have loved giving. There are times that I give mercy, and I do it because it's my responsibility. But Zida, it's not something that I love doing. When you love doing it, Don, it's an indication that you've moved beyond the letter of the law and something's actually happening 
inside. For that reason, Paul said to preachers like me, he said, don't press too hard, but let everyone give as they purpose in their own heart, not begrudgingly or out of external religious compulsion. For God loves cheerful giving. God doesn't, JW, he doesn't just love giving. He appreciates giving, and it makes things go, but he loves cheerful giving because when he sees me loving to give mercy, he knows something's happening on the inside of me. When he sees me loving to give, when I take Nina by the shoulders and say, go tell your brother you're sorry, sorry <laughs> or in her worst moments I'm sorry <laughs> but when you see your child unprovoked now that he's 15 and he's getting it little by little when you see him behind your back sit down with her Scott and say sissy I love you and I was mean and I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that. Holiness is true holiness when it begins working past the finger written in stone and it finds its way from the granite to the fleshly table of my heart. I, I don't know how to teach about generous giving except to tell you to open your heart to that and pray that one of these days you will begin to feel what God feels. And the last thing that I want to tell you is there is even a level of giving that I see rarely in myself and rarely in others, but it is the highest call of Christ beyond reasonable, beyond generous, sacrificial. And that's a high call. Sacrificial giving is to give in a costly way. In a way that actually, listen to me, in a way that alters your life and your comfort. Sacrificial giving is when my way of being in the world is altered by the gift. And I don't give that way a lot. And I, I want to close the service by reading one verse of Scripture that Jesus drives this ultimate call home to. And, and here's what I'm hoping for. I'm setting this up here as the ideal, and we're all striving toward Christ, and I'm thinking, man, if we make sacrificial giving our goal, maybe we'll all just come up to reasonable. If we'll make generosity and sacrifice the goal, maybe we can at least get over to responsible. But this is the goal. Mark 12, look at it. Scripture says that Jesus went up to the temple at the time of worship. And as I've often told you, Clyde, he didn't sit down and say, I want to know about this church. William, he didn't say, I'm going to listen to this rabbi and how he shells the corn. I'm going to listen to the Psalter 
if they put the Psalms together right. No. He went up to the temple at the time of worship, and as you might note, he sat down across from the offering box. And he was observing how the crowd tossed money in for the collection. Now, isn't that something? He just sat down. The old King James says he watched how they gave. He didn't watch what they gave. He watched how they gave. He didn't watch if they gave mercy. He watched how they gave mercy. He sat down across from the offering box, and he was observing how the crowd tossed money in for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. Time out. In order to uplift the poor and generosity, many people have taken this text to denigrate the rich. Are you kidding me? This church would not survive without people giving large contributions. This church waits on and depends upon large contributions for crying out loud. It's always been the way the church has been, and we're in the middle of Williamson County. There are people of means here who do have the capacity. And I want to say this, there, Brad, there's nothing about this text that shames them for giving large contributions. And I just want to say, thank you. Thank you. They're not enough, though. Many of the rich were making large contributions. You know why? Scripture doesn't say, and they were doing it wrong. No, no, no. They were responsibly giving. Look at it. They were responsibly giving. Kudos to people who give responsibly. But there's more. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents, and Jesus called his disciples over and said, I love that. He's heard a bunch of scripture, heard a bunch of songs, and he hadn't bit yet, but when the little lady walks through, Jesus does it again. Jesus seldom opened up the Bible and took a text, but many, many times he would open up a life and take a text. And he got to the point in the service, Jody, where the little lady comes over and gives it all, and he says, got it, ready to talk now. And he says, fellas, and he said, the truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. Sacrificial giving. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Now, there aren't many of us, and I am seldom there, but that's the goal. I hear people all the time talk about Warren Buffett giving a billion dollars, Bill Gates giving billions of dollars, and they say that hadn't changed their life at all. Are you kidding me? Thank God for the rich making large contributions. You know what Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are doing? They are being responsible billionaires. Now, are they being generous? Are they being sacrificial? I doubt either one of them is going to be hungry or wear any kind of different clothes because they gave a billion dollars. 
But simply because they weren't generous and sacrificial doesn't mean they weren't responsible. I want to applaud responsible giving. But I want to set as a goal for all of us, for Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Stan Mitchell, there is something beyond responsibility. It is the call of Christ to give generously and sacrificially. And I pray that this church will be marked at least by responsibility. I pray that it will be marked by generosity. And I hope against hope that the sacrifice by which Christ, who was rich, was made poor for us and has left us an example, I pray that we would pour ourselves out and find the true meaning of life in that place. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's the only way to live. I can teach responsible given. Life has to teach the other. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these good people. Thank you for a lot of them who are responsible, a good amount of them who are generous, and for a couple of beacons around here that have been sacrificial. Help us, Lord, to find our way in this community. Help us to find our way in this responsibility of loving and caring, teaching and cooking, giving and praying. Help us, Lord, to do all of this in the blessed name of the rich one made poor and the one who has called us to equality and the one who has called us to share. May we be giving people in every area of our life. And in the next decade of this church, may this church make an impact an impact that can only be made through generosity and sacrifice. May we, who have been gifted in so many ways, come behind, not in this gift. Teach us, Lord, your way. We pray this in the sweet name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God's people said a good and hearty, now. If you come to business meeting next year, you won't have to go through this on a Sunday. But if you miss business meeting, I'm still going to get you. This is important. Let's go be the church God's called us to be. God bless you. Go.